today on the TMZ Podcast. Welcome to the TMZ Podcast. Jason and Derek here. Derek, we got a, a, a murder investigation that's ongoing outside of Boston in Quincy, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, a guy by the name of Brian Walsh has been uh, accused of murdering and dismembering his wife. It's a horrible, horrible story. Um, her name is Anna Walsh, um, and a few days before New Year's 2023, she reported that she was concerned for her safety, uh, that her wife, that her husband, sorry, had been uh, tr- making threats against her. Uh, then New Year's Day comes along. Uh, she goes missing. A few days later, he reports her to the police as missing. Uh, the attention of the police, as soon as they start investigating, uh, they they start looking at at Brian. His... Anytime a spouse is missing, you're going to look at the other yeah. spouse, right? Yeah. That's typical in an investigation. But he, uh, but there's had some, some evidence. odd behavior. Th- there's some yeah. evidence here, right? Uh, uh, sure. So, so start us off with start us off with the what was found in the basement of the house at a nearby trash site. Yeah. So let's take this in in in, in parts. Uh, so prosecutors when they're in when they're in court today. He pleads not guilty, but they are starting to sort of list out their evidence. What they're doing is establishing sort of the basis of their case against Walsh. And because in order to hold the defendant, hold, you right. must persuade the court there's probable cause to hold them over for trial. And also you can have you can set bail at these at, at these sorts of things. That's where this kind of thing happens. So you need to present your case as it stands to the judge to make them believe this person should be held. And a guilty or not guilty plea is going to be in. But to be fair, remember, this is largely a one-sided presentation of evidence by the prosecutor. This is not the trial. This is the prob- establishing, establishing probable cause is not an opportunity for the defendant to really lay out his case. It's just the prosecution's basis for holding the defendant. Uh, so what they do is they take off a laundry list of things they have that prove he killed his wife around New Year's Day and then dismembered and disposed of her body. What they say they have is in the basement of the house, uh, there's a bloody knife. Now, you have a dead body and you have a bloody knife those are that's a huge piece of evidence in case but it doesn't stop there uh they well, you also, don't have a you don't, we don't have a dead body here, we don't have the body yet, we have a, we, 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 right we have so we have a knife with presumably her blood on it that's got we, we didn't see that sure. come out but presumably it is not enough right she lives in the house there's lots no. of reasons that you could have there's garden tools that I oh you can cut on. yourself yeah, she yeah. lives there right you know exactly. there's there's blood there's exactly. my blood and Mary's blood in my house and both of us are alive and well so that can exist in a functional home however the authorities also go on to find a hacksaw a hatchet and a carpet at a nearby trash site so now you start to have a bloody knife in a basement and you have tools that could be used to hack up a body and dispose of it. Uh, And a carpet is typically how you roll up a dead body. It wasn't revealed, but presumably the reason that prosecutors relied upon this was because I'm going to guess that her DNA was found on the hacksaw, the hatchet, and the carpet itself. Obviously, it's a trash site. Lots of things existed at a trash site. We still don't have a body. We have. We still don't have a body. We still don't have the body. But we have these instruments that could be used to, and as the allegations go, to dismember a body that are being found with her blood on it at home, and then uh, at a local trash site. So, so when you're building a case, you have these what what my evidence professor used to say are these bricks of evidence. You're trying to build a wall that is sturdy enough, and so you've got a knife. That's one brick. You've got the hatchet, the the hacksaw, and the carpet at the nearby trash site. Those are other bricks. Now we build some other circumstantial evidence, and these are these are the whoppers here. This is why this this case is getting huge headlines. Is prosecutors say Walsh had done some internet searches in the in the period after his wife was reported missing, 
And what he was looking for is, is quite suspicious. He would search for information how to dispose a female body that weighs 115 pounds. Which Reports are that his wife weighed yeah. 115 pounds. Right. And then the next two are really the most alarming. And here we go. And on his iPad, there were searches for, quote, how long, bo- how long before a body starts to smell, close quote, and, quote, how to stop a body from decomposing, close quote. So, so that wall of evidence that you were describing is getting pretty sturdy. There's some mortars drying there. Listen. It's maybe two bricks thick. You know, it's, it's getting sturdier and sturdier. And then some surveillance video emerges from a nearby Home Depot just a few days, within a day or two after her disappearance. They say that they found some surveillance video of him shopping at Home Depot. He bought cleaning products, tarps, and mops, paid 450 bucks. That's a lot of stuff at Home Depot. Um, And the nature of the products you buy look innocuous enough, but in the context of all the things we've told you previously, it starts to look like a man who maybe has committed a horrific crime and is trying to clean up the, the crime scene. So uh, Brian Walsh, again, was in uh, court in Massachusetts on Wednesday morning. Uh, had an interesting look on his face. A lot of time, pro- uh, f- either because it's sincere or because they're trying to feign sort of respect for the deceased and, and outrage at the charges. A lot of defense you'll see with a stoic look on their face or some sort of defiant look on their face. Not Brian Walsh. He had almost a gleeful look on his face. He was smiling as he was walking in. And that doesn't say much, right? His, 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 he may feel, you know, somebody who feels that this is ridiculous might also smile through it or his lawyer might have said something funny to him. Yep. But nevertheless, he had a smile on his face. Not a great look. That on top of the fact that the uh, allegations against him are so horrific and the wall mountain of evidence seems so overwhelming would lead you to think that a more sort of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, look, measured he, person would not have this look on his face. Yeah, I mean, look, even if you are convinced of you're not guilty, I mean, he he's the only person who knows whether or not he hacked up his, his, his wife. So this demeanor could be consistent with, I obviously didn't do this. I bought the hacksaw to hack up a deer. There's blood on the knife because I'm a hunter. He may know things that investigators don't know, and obviously the public doesn't know yet, um, that would make that that sort of smile okay. Nevertheless, when you're levied with Your the, wife these charges been brutally, and she's yeah, missing, missing right, you right. would expect a, a measure of solemnity, uh, yes. you know, just something, a, a serious look because... Your wife's still gone. They still haven't found her body, right. which is a big part of a murder investigation. He is he until until they find the body is going to say, uh, you know, as yeah, as know, there's a bloody knife. Me. She lives here, but yeah. but she could be and alive. As a matter of fact, the reports that she was worried about something that he might do to her before uh, she she disappeared might actually go to him. Look, he, she she ran off. She I fled. Can, right. I, without a body, it's hard to make a prosecution. Impossible to make a prosecution, actually. They're going to need to find this body. Yes, uh, it's very, very difficult. That's why the search for the body is so important, because without it, the defense has always the possibility of saying, that person's out there. I didn't right. commit murder. How can you convict me of murder? That person may be alive. Right. So, you know, all of this sort of uh, uh, poses the question whether or not Brian Walsh sort of wanted to get caught. You look at the mountain of evidence, right? He did these searches, for example, for... Uh, I mean, he pled not guilty today. We yes. start out. He pled not guilty in court today. But here's a man who did all of these searches on his home, on computer. His home computer for how to stop how to stop a body from decomposing, how to long before a body starts to smell, and how to go about disposing of a female body 115 pounds. It's it's directly on point. 
we've heard of this before that people like to get caught they're either out of guilt or some sort of pathology sure some serial killers have yeah. a true uh, sort of uh, perversion about the enjoyment of going to crime scenes that they've committed things it's it's not clear that we have a serial killer here this right. could also be indicative of someone who just doesn't know what they're doing right, right. I mean if it's the first time you've murdered your wife and you just <laughs> well you know, no, no I, I'm sorry, trying to be serious, though. Yeah. This is also not necessarily someone who wants to get caught, but someone who just doesn't know how to commit crime and is saying, oh, my goodness, will the body start smelling? I, I don't know. I well, guess I Google that. It sort that. of runs contrary to somebody who has, assuming he did it, successfully dispo de disposed of, uh, dismembered, disposed of a body to the point that we are now three weeks after the alleged murder and they still haven't found her. Yeah. To say that somebody is so, and I can't reconcile these things, is so reckless as to commit these internet searches, yet so careful as to be able to conceal a body from authorities looking for it. You know, this is a statewide search now for this this body. They they sort of they're hard to reconcile those two things. I mean, unless he was very skilled at disposing of bodies. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, and and this is not to be glib, but he did Google these things, and things exist on the internet that give yeah. you tips on how to do this. I think that's why the internet searches are going to be so key in the prosecutor's case because they're going to say, look, it's very difficult to find a body because if you search these things, here are the results. We think he did one of these things, which really frustrates our ability to obtain the body. If he ground it up, if he dispersed the body parts in different places, it can confuse the dogs. Maybe there's a chemical you can apply that masks the odor. Uh, you know, yeah. there are things that you can do that frustrate law enforcement, and it's clear he was looking for those things. Yeah, I, I we, we talked earlier about how difficult it is to prove a case like this without a body. But when you line up these facts, I mean, assuming that her blood is found on the, on the hatchet that's at the tra trash site, on the hacksaw that's at the trash site. Uh, the carpet. Know, in the carpet. And they'll be able to tell whether the body, a body, her body, because of the DNA, was rolled in that carpet. Yes. That with the bloody knife in the basement of the house, along with the internet searches, it's harder without the body because he's going to always be able to claim that she might be out there, sort of gone girl style. You know, she was always out there. But... The, the the story begins to fall apart pretty quickly. Any alternative rationale for her disappearance? I think very quickly, right? I mean, so the bloody knife can have a small amount of blood on it. If that carpet is a pool of her blood, yeah. he's going to have a very difficult time saying, hey, she lived at the house and she got a cut on her hand. So yeah. all of these things are, are going to be... I look at this case and I look at Brian Koberger's case in Idaho as very, very strong. Those guys are starting from a massive deficit. The prosecutors have done their homework in both cases, it seems. And the uphill battle is for the defense, even though the presumption of innocence is on their side. Yeah, you actually thought of a Koberger case just a minute ago when you said that we hear about killers sometimes returning to the scenes of the crime. That's something Koberger did, right? There's yes. evidence that after the, in the hours after the murder of the four people in Idaho that he actually drove back past that house again. Um, and anyway, I just thought of that. People do do these very strange things in the wake of committing horrible crimes. Yeah, my sense in this case, what you're going to get is some sort of uh, self-defense, mutual combat. I had to kill her because oh, she interesting. was coming at me. I think that's his only real hand to play. Brian Koberger has the, you know, I, I didn't know these people sort of defense of it's absolutely not me. I'm not uh, sure well, Brian Walsh yeah. and his wife and carpets and Home Depot if he's going to play the same way. Yeah. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. 
So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. All right. Uh, so moving on just to another legal case, we just want to update you guys on what's happening in the Tory Lanez, Meg the Stallion case. So uh, Tory Lanez has hired himself a really well-known appellate, well, lawyer. One of the biggest names. In one defense. of the biggest names out there, a guy by the name of Jose Baez. Jose Baez, obviously, I think he, he really came to notoriety with his defense of Casey Anthony got her acquitted when it seemed like talking about cases where it seems like all the evidence is pointing against someone towards someone's guilt. He got Casey Anthony off in a case where there was the the wall of evidence there seemed insurmountable. Um, He got her off, came to fame. He represented Aaron Hernandez at at, at the appellate level and got him actually uh, uh, got a couple of his appeals uh, 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 convictions overturned on appeal. Really well-known, successful celebrity uh, tr- uh, lawyer. Yeah, very, very big name, uh, a big sort of defense attorney in Miami. So I think this is a, a good move for Tory Lanes. And it was interesting to hear Jose Baez, who we had on TMZ Live, talk about his approach. And I wouldn't give specifics about what he is going to launch in the, in, in, in the appeal. But what he said was interesting. He said, look, high-profile cases are always rife, any case, uh, is rife with procedural errors. High-profile ones are particularly rife with procedural errors, and talk that's about, what I'll be looking for. Talk about what a procedural error is as opposed to a substantive error in the, in the trial. Sure. So th- throughout throughout the process of, of a trial, uh, there are various decisions that are made along the way to allow the uh, introduction of evidence, uh, the certain types of testimony to come in, the way the questioning is done of witnesses, and all of those decisions are handled, you know, some by motions, but a lot of them on the fly. Right. Like the judge will just make a ruling from the bench and not go back and look at papers and make a measured ruling, but just make kind of a gut call right. because they've been in trials a long time. Some of those calls are wrong along the way. Now, some of them don't have an impact on the trial and they're they're not, quote, reversible error. Meaning right. So let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, so in order for a plaintiff to in order for a party, sorry, in this case, a defendant to prevail on appeal, they must all show. A, they must convince the appellate court that A, the trial court judge messed up, made mm-hmm. an error. But that's not enough. That's not enough because errors are made in every single case. You'd overturn every single uh, uh, case or most of them. Number two, that but for that error, the outcome of the trial may have been different. And that's the and hurdle. that is the hurdle. You must show that this, I mean, it's it's hard to show that they, that it's very hard, high standard. Very few uh, convictions are overturned on appeal. That's right. It's a very high standard, and here that that's sort of the bar that he has to 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 um, to jump over. There, he did sort of make a suggestion that there might be an ineffective assistance of counsel. Yes. He he said that I wish that I had brought in, been brought in earlier, making it seem like had he been brought in earlier, he would have done things differently. So he may be teeing that up as a conceivable argument. That right. one's also incredibly hard Incredibly to hard. Ineffective assistance of counsel means you were basically uh, uh, represented in the case by someone who was so inept that they uh, basically uh, impaired your ability to win the case at all. This, right. These are cases where you have lawyers who fa- fall asleep during trial. You'll right. see fact patterns where it's really, really egregious, or, or you know, not asking ig- for ignore, very obvious Ignoring advice. giant pieces of evidence. Yes. That's the one where you see it, I think, the most, whereas there was this potentially exculpatory evidence that the uh, that your lawyer either didn't find or just didn't present at trial. And you're, you're, you're on appeal. You're like, had they presented, I mean, the burden, burden is still high. Had they presented this, we think the outcome, appellate court, we think it would have been different. 
Hard to see that happening here. This is a well-tried case. I, the, the difficulty that Tory Lanez has and Jose Baez now has is we haven't heard what Tory Lanez's side of the story is, right? We know that Meg the Stallion was shot. Yes. We know that it came from the direction of Tory Lanez's car. We know exactly who was in that car. We know that she says Tory Lanez did it. What what what's really in dispute here in terms what, of overturning the conviction? That's right, because what, what Jason's getting at is the evidence that was presented and largely their, their key witness was Kelsey. Remember the, the yeah. other girl in the car whose testimony changed and she was more combative at trial. But then they played her interview, which was very directly uh, alleging that Tori shot these shots. What that is, is a test of credibility and who decides the credibility of witnesses Juries. Juries do. Juries. Right. And, 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 and that who, cannot be and overturned. that cannot be overturned. Right. They made a judgment call and said, we believe her story, and her story was Tori uh, fired these shots and the shots hit Megan. That's not reversible. That's just the jury believing someone. Well, you, you know why they didn't? The, the jury didn't find that it was anybody else except Tori because there was no evidence presented that it was anybody else but Tori. Right. Tori didn't take the stand, and I get it. You don't want to take the stand, but there was no. And they didn't even put on a case, nor could they, that Kelsey had fired the shots. They just left it to the jury to try and infer that from everything that they're hearing around it. And the jury said. Based on what we've seen, we be believe beyond a reasonable doubt that this was Tory. There's nobody else who could have pulled the trigger. And it's very you can't overturn those kinds of judgment calls and appeal. You must show, again, the trial court made such an egregious error that but for that error, the case would have been different. I don't even see where that argument is at this point. Yes, and here's the last big point that people need to understand about appeals. Appeals are largely a closed universe. Whatever happened in the trial, you can attack and say there were errors here because this happened. You can't go out and say, I want to try the case differently. No. That's not what an appeal is. You can't say, hey, uh, this witness says this and it's a new smoking gun. That's not what an appeal is. You can get a new trial. You yeah. can ask for a new trial and say there's new evidence that has surfaced that was unknown before. That would have changed the but results. Good of the luck. We know the p players in this case. We know literally one in a million. Literally very, very one hard. in a million to get a, to get a new trial uh, after a conviction based on uh, new evidence. But here's what I'll say: uphill battle. But you got Jose Baez, and he's a tremendous lawyer, and we'll see what he can do. There we go. All right, guys. Thanks very much. See you tomorrow. All right.